0: Okay, this morning we are in the second part of a series that actually we began before the holidays and ended right before the holidays on discipleship. And uh, this is kind of the second part in the series. We did uh, eight or nine weeks on what it means to be a disciple, and now we're going to take that to the next level. And uh, we saw when we were looking at discipleship that we are called to be disciples, every one of us. If you are a believer in Jesus Christ, you are called to be a disciple. Uh, Mike, as part of his PowerPoint, put up that scripture from Matthew 28, is, and it's the one we camped on when we started this whole series, and we're going to continue to camp on that. The, the idea of going, therefore, and making disciples. Uh, it's the last thing the Lord said before he went up to glory. When he stood on the mountaintop and he told the disciples, he said, go you therefore into all the nations. And he said, make disciples. So we looked a lot about that. But we're going to take it even deeper because there's something else that he said in that passage that's pretty important. It's our assignment. We're to make disciples. We're not to make church members. We're not to make um, even just Christians. Because there are people all around this community. There's people in this church. There's people we run into, if you ask them, they would say, yes, I'm a Christian, but they're not a disciple. Our job is to make disciples. And I am more and more convinced of that fact that it's not about how many people we can cram into a room. It's how many people we can make into disciples, disciples of Jesus Christ. This is the passage, verses 18 and 20 in Matthew 28. All authority, Jesus said, has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples. It's an imperative. It's a command. It's not a suggestion. It's a command. Go make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And this is where I typically stop with this passage. It's where everybody stops with this passage. Um, You know, I grew up Southern Baptist and my dad, you know, we had the Lottie Moon Christmas offering every Christmas. And we, you know, we always talked about missions. And this is where we my dad would preach from this every December. Go ye therefore into all the nations. And we'd have missionaries come and share. But we, I don't ever remember my dad talking about this next part. Teaching them to observe all that I commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Teaching them to observe all that I commanded you. I don't know how many times I've read these verses, but that's really never resonated with me. You know, I, I've, I've definitely heard the command, go and make disciples. But I've never really camped on that second part. And that's really where we're going to camp for the next weeks is just that's what we're supposed to do. Go and make disciples. What are we to be making? Disciples. Okay. bottom line. This is kind of review for some of you, but just to bring us all back onto the same page, not Christians, as I said earlier, not converts. And we are not to make church members. Let's face it, the church today is great at all three of these things. You know, we make a lot of Christians, people who claim to be followers of Christ. We make a lot of converts. We make a lot of church members. But do we really have a lot of disciples, sold-out followers of Jesus Christ? So how do we make them? How do you make a disciple? You can go to any Christian bookstore, and you're going to find book after book on discipleship. Um, Bill Egner and I have been looking at all kinds of curriculum on discipleship and, and it's there is so much out there. There's so many studies, there's books, there's courses, there's all kinds of plans on making disciples, right? It's amazing what you can find. And they're all they have similarities, they have differences. But they're all over the map in terms of how you pull this thing off. So how do you make disciples? Here's Jesus' plan. Teach them to observe all that I commanded you. Isn't that kind of simple? Wouldn't it be just like Jesus to make it simple? You notice Jesus didn't write a book on discipleship. It would have been a bestseller, I'm sure, but he didn't write one. He just said, go make disciples, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you. That was his plan. That's how he said to make disciples. And and as I've been looking at all this material, it's amazing how we've complicated that. We've made it a whole lot more complex than it probably needs to be. So what are we to be teaching them? Observe all that Jesus commanded, which begs the question, what did Jesus command? Does anybody have any idea how many commands there are of Christ in the New Testament? If you look at the Gospels, just throw out a number. What do you think? How many commands do you think there are? Huh? Forty? Thirty? Fifty? 90, there, there are, at least from what I've discovered, reading back through the Gospels, there's at least 49 to 50. There may be more depending on what you qualify as a command. But if you just take the commands of Christ that are universal commands, in other words, there were there were commands he gave to certain individuals to go wash, you know, go. He put the mud in guy's eyes. Now go wash. Well, that that was a command, but it's not a universal command. It was for that guy at that time. But if you take the universal commands that apply to every single one of us, there's at least 49 to 50. And most of them, as I read them, I had no clue were even there. I'm sure I've read them, but I just never saw them as a command. I just saw them as teachings of Christ, but they are a command. So there's at least 49 of them. And when he says to observe them, Teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. Here's what it means in the original language. It means to watch over, guard, observe closely, to hold fast, put a grip on them. Not just look at them and go, I observe it, but I'm not going to keep it. I see it, but that's not for me. That doesn't apply to me. Observe it, to guard it, hold it closely. Put a major league grip on it. I, I see it, I understand it, and it's mine, and I'm going to own it. I'm going to obey it. I'm going to keep it. It's interesting. It's the same word in the story of the Philippian jailer. He was told to keep Paul and Silas from escaping. And the same word is used to observe them. That means he not only just to watch them. He wasn't to watch them as they walked out the door, right? He was to observe and make sure that they didn't go anywhere. It's the same idea. We are to observe these these commands of Christ Watch them closely. Make sure that we keep them. And it's not an option. Practical word studies in the New Testament, I love what they say. It means to obey, to keep in focus with the eyes, to observe, to give uncompromised attention to, to guard, to fulfill a responsibility, to pay attention to. So when when Jesus says to the disciples, standing on the Mount of Olives, and he says to you and I, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you, this is what he's saying to them. And they knew it because what did they do? They did exactly what he said. If you go back and this has been fascinating to me and we're going to look at this over the next weeks. If you look at the teachings of the apostles in in the rest of the New Testament, they are just extensions of every command that Jesus gave them. Everything Jesus commanded them when he walked the earth with them, everything they wrote is an extension of something Jesus commanded them they just they just added to it they just said here's what Jesus said and they explained it so if you go read the letters of Paul you will see that almost everything if not everything he wrote is something Jesus commanded the disciples so observe it keep it obey it and and listen to this obedience is not optional it is for my kids have you ever noticed that with kids that obedience is optional you know that go clean your room yeah sure dad I'll get to it. It's not optional for us. As as Christians, we have to obey what Christ says. Jesus stated a simple fact that must be understood. If you love me, you will keep what I command. If you love me, you'll keep what I command. He's not giving an optional command. If you love me, then keep my commandments. That's how we read it, isn't it? You know, if we love him, then we'll do it. No, it's. You will keep my, my commandments. You will do it. He's saying that the man who truly loves him will keep his commandments. If he loves Jesus, he obeys. He seeks to please the one he loves in all that he does. Man, that's what I'm looking for. That's what I'm looking for in my life. It's not an option. It's not something you wake up in the morning and one day I feel like it and one day I don't. You know, I know that this is early in the morning. Believe me, I know this is early in the morning. Will you be here next week? I don't know. That's between you and the Lord. Is it hard to get up early? Is it hard to show up here? Is it is it hard to have a quiet time every morning? Is it hard to do these things? Yes, it is. But if you love him, you will keep his commandments. Now, I want to say this going in. This is not about a bunch of rules. This is not about rules, guys. I'm not going to give you a list of things to do and keep because that's not what this is about. This is about a relationship. If you love him... You will keep his commandments. You will obey him. And one of the things I've discovered in in studying this is that this is all about the impossible. It's all about the impossible. Keeping the commands of Christ is impossible. And I've seen it in all the stories. As As you read these commands and you see them in their context, you see this come out. That he's asking us to do something that's really impossible for us. He says, teach All his commands, that was the last thing he said, okay, gathers the disciples around him, he's leaving, they're sad, and the last thing he says is, teach, go make disciples and teach them everything I command. Teach them to observe all my commands. Keep them, obey them, watch them closely. Notice he didn't say, teach them to know all of my commands. When we get done with this, if you show up every week, you will know all of the commands of Christ. But does that do you any good? No, it doesn't do you any good just to know what the commands were. He says, teach them to observe them. And that is impossible. I'm telling you right now, it is impossible to do. And as I've looked at this, I've been highly convicted that. Most of these commands of the forty nine that I found, I haven't been keeping them and I don't know that I can because it's impossible. So here's what I want you to do right now. This is our first discussion time for this new series. Here's your questions for you new guys. This is your chance around the tables to talk about these. And I want you to discuss these questions. Don't come up with your own. You know, don't get off on a tangent. I want you to go through these questions and I want everybody to share. Okay? Here they are. Have someone at your table read Mark chapter 10, verses 17 through 27 out loud. Discuss why you think Jesus told the man to sell everything he owned and give it to the poor. What does the man's response reveal about him? And what is the point Jesus is making in verse 25? There is no right answer. Just share. Read it, discuss it, and then we'll come back together and take this a little bit further. Interesting story, isn't it? Here you have this rich man comes to Jesus and he wants to know about eternal life. And Jesus tells him, basically, first he says, keep all my commandments, right? But we'll look at it in a minute. But notice the commandments he tells them to keep. He didn't go through all ten, does he? He just gives them a few. And the guy says, well, I've kept all those from my youth. Now, the, you know, the jury's out on that one. You know, has he really done that? But at least in his perspective, he has. Then Jesus says, well, then do this. He says, sell all you possess and give it to the poor and then follow me. What's the guy's response? What's he do? He walks away. It says he grieved. He walks away grieving. And that's a it's a pretty sad story when you think about it. And it really gets the attention of the disciples because Jesus goes on. And he says a little bit later, he says how hard it is to enter the kingdom of God. And then he expands on that. Jesus says it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. With man, it is impossible. But with God, not with God, for all things are possible with God. That's the point I want us to get out of it this morning. Here comes this guy and he comes to Jesus. He wants to know about eternal life. And he walks away grieving this is not a universal command. Don't get sweaty-palmed out there, okay? God is not asking every man in the room who's wealthy to sell everything you have. That's not the point, and many people have twisted that. This is not a universal command. It was a command in this man's life, though. Jesus was saying, sell everything you have, give it to the poor, and follow me. And the guy couldn't do it. What was his response? It says he walked away grieving. He couldn't do what Jesus told him to do. And you know what? You're going to discover some things over the next weeks that you're going to sit there and go, you're going to walk away grieving. You're going to say, I can't do that. I can't pull it off. But what does Jesus say here? With man, it is impossible, but not with God. For all things are possible with God. All things are possible. He was asking this guy to do the impossible from a human perspective. Because it goes on and it tells you, what does it say? Verse 22, for he was one who owned much property. He couldn't pull it off. It was impossible. It was an impossible command. And he walks away. He had made an idol out of money. This is the, this is the key in this guy's life. Is He had made an idol out of money, property, wealth. And it meant more to him than following Jesus. Do you know anybody who's like that today? Hey, some of us in the room, let's face it, we have made an idol out of things. We treasure money more than we treasure God. And sometimes God says, here's what I want you to do. And what do we do? We shake our head. We walk away grieving. I can't, I can't do that, Lord, because it'll cost me. It'll cost me. It was impossible. Notice this. He left out all the commandments having to do with idolatry. This, this came out in a Bible study I had with our small group the other night. I'd never noticed this until one of the guys in the group said, look at, look at the, command, the commandments he gives him. He says, you know the commandments. Don't murder. Don't commit adultery. Don't steal. Don't bear false witness. Do not defraud. Honor your father and mother. But what does he leave out? What are the first commandments of the Ten Commandments? Have no other God before you. What did this guy have a problem with? He probably had not murdered anybody. He probably had not committed adultery. He probably did respect his honor, his father and mother. But what had he done? He had violated the primary commands. He had made other gods before him. And it's interesting that Jesus left those out. Because those are the ones that he had violated you shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself any idol. You shall not worship them or serve them. These are the ones that he had violated. That was this man's problem. He had violated the commands of God. So to teach people to obey all the commands of Jesus is impossible. That's that's the main thing I want you to get. This is going to be impossible, but with God, all things are possible. Otherwise, he wouldn't have told us to do it. He wouldn't tell us to, to teach them to observe all this stuff is if it's undoable it's just undoable in the flesh but in the spirit it's it's possible so this is all about our inability and god's glory this is really important to me and it's something i feel like the lord is hammering through my head what's the ultimate goal of keeping his commands what's the ultimate goal that god be glorified That's what it's all about. But you know what I want to keep doing? I want to put myself in that position that I be glorified. Hey, look at me. Keep all the commands. Look at me. Be this godly man. Look at me. And so people look at me and go, wow. Look at him. Man, if I could be like him. You know, the truth is, if you knew me very well, you wouldn't want to be like me. But I want people to worship me, but... Anytime I get in the driver's seat and I put myself in the pedestal, I have made a God out of me. It's all about that God be glorified. That's why it's impossible, because if everybody could do it, who needs God? It's impossible. He's going to get the glory. It's not about you and me being successful. Man, I've kept 40 of the 49 commandments of Christ. How many of you kept? I kept three more than you did. This is not a competition, and it's not me being better than you. This is about God being glorified through my life. It's not about success. And that's really hard for us to get a grasp on. When we obey, God is displayed as the one who makes it all possible. If I keep any of the commands of Christ, had this man said, you know what? I'm doing it. I'm selling everything I have. I'm giving it to the poor, and I'm following you. Where would that strength have come from? Not him. It would have had to have come from God because it is impossible. Now, he may have done it for a week. He may have done it for a season. But if it wasn't of God, he would have gone right back to what he had before. I miss it. I got to have it. I want my money back. I'm tired of following Christ. God's going to get the glory. It's his commands done in his power for his glory. And if you try to step into that role, if you if you say it's his commands done in his power, but for my glory, you have got it wrong and you will fail and you will be miserable. It's all about God's glory. So who Jesus is and what he commands. This is this is a key point for us this morning. These two things are inseparable. Never separate who Jesus was and what he commanded. Don't take these as isolated little principles and leave out Jesus because they came from the mouth of Jesus his person is the manifestation of the glory of God the very person of Jesus manifests who God is what what did he say in John 14:9 whoever has seen me has seen the father he is the representation of God himself he is God he's the glory of God on this earth, he came to earth as a baby, grew to be a man. He died on the cross. He rose again. He is the ultimate representation of God to us. So he, you can't separate who he was. And then you have to take, what did he do? His work is the manifestation of the glory of God. What did Jesus say in John 17, 4? I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work you gave me to do. How did Jesus glorify God? Not just by coming. But by his actions, everything he did brought glory to God. Do you ever think about that? Everything Jesus did, turning water into wine, healing a sick man, everything he did brought glory to God. That's that's his person. It's his very nature and all of his works. So when we begin to see what he did and how he did it, we see the majesty and glory of God. Okay, that's why it's so important to look at Christ. And what he's commanding me and what he's commanding you is a life that displays the worth of his person and the effect of his work. Let me explain that so I can understand it. Maybe it'll help you. Jesus Christ came to die on the cross, right? We We all agree to that. Jesus Christ came to die on the cross in order that he might transform me from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light so that I might be a totally new creature. And so every time I live as a new creature, guess what it does? It displays the worth of his person and the effect of his work. Every time you and I do anything right, godly, guess who gets the glory? Jesus Christ and ultimately God the Father. Why? Because the only way it's possible is through him. So as we keep the commands of Christ, we are basically, we're validating that Jesus' birth, His life, his death, and his resurrection have worth because it works. That's why we're here. Otherwise, he would have taken us. He left us here to display his glory. But what do we do? We spend 99.9% of our lives displaying our glory. Look at what I did. Look how great I am. Look how accomplished I am. And we rob God of glory when we do that. This is, all, this is the reason he said, keep my commands. So it's about my transform life, transferring glory back to God. That's why he demands that we obey his commands. He doesn't suggest it. He, hey, guys, here's the thought. You might want to try, try some of these. They might make you happy. And this is not a form of legalism. Please be real careful with this. Is it a test of our faithfulness or spirituality? In other words, if I keep these more than you do, am I more spiritual than you are? No. That's not what this is about. The obedience he demands is the fruit of his redeeming work. That's why we're here. It's it's for our lives to display the redeeming work in our lives to those around us of Jesus Christ. So as I, I read these commands and as I begin to obey these commands... In the power of the Holy Spirit within me, it reveals to those around me that God is real and Jesus Christ is who he says he is. Because I can't do it any other way. When we do it, it displays his personal glory. Man, think about that. You, you are a vehicle for displaying the glory of Jesus Christ and God the Father on this earth. And people should be pointing at you and pointing at me and saying... Wow, where does this guy get that from? Where does, how does he get the ability to do the things that he does? I love what John Piper says. The Son of Man came to save people from their suicidal love affair with possessions and every other idol and to lead them into a kind of impossible obedience that displays the infinite worth of Jesus. I, I just love the way he says it. The suicidal love affair with possessions You ever thought about that, that you have a suicidal and I have a suicidal love affair with stuff? I mean, we'll kill ourselves to get stuff to the point where we lose our joy and we lose our relationship with Jesus Christ. But no, it's about an impossible obedience that displays the infinite worth of Jesus. That's what it's all about. Jesus said this about Israel. Therefore, I say to you, the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and given to a nation producing the fruit of it. What's he saying? He's telling Israel that I am going to create a people, us, who are going to glorify me, Jesus Christ, by bearing the fruit of his kingdom. That's what I'm going to do. Hey, Israel, I came to you. If you heard Ted's sermon on Sunday, what did he say? They muffed it. Now, they're going to get that mulligan. But right now, they've muffed it. So I'm going to create a people who will glorify my work, my person, who I am by bearing the fruit of his kingdom. That's what we're here to do. Bear the fruit of his kingdom. If you want to have some fun sometime this week, just take those two stories, get a get a notepad and just do a comparison. It it really is interesting because if you look at uh, verse 1 or v- verse 2 of chapter 19 of Luke, it says Zacchaeus comes to him and it says he was rich. He was rich. Both stories qualify that these guys were rich. Here's the key. This, everything we're getting ready to do over the next weeks is not about you. It's not about me. It's about him. Now, I know you hate that because I hate it. Um, I want to be the star of my story. Um, The problem is when I'm the star of my story, I screw everything up. I'm not meant to be the star of my story. He is. And so it's, it's not about you. It's not about me. It's about him. So as we go through this, keep that in mind. And if you look at this story of Zacchaeus, how could this guy give away half of what he owned? Look at verse 8. Lord, half of my possessions I will give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I will give back four times as much. Had Jesus asked him to do this? No. He just offers it. Now, how did this guy get rich to begin with? tax collector he was a defrauder by trade that's how he made his money as a tax collector he represented the romans the romans said go collect this tax from the jewish people he was a jew and he would go to the people and here's how he made his money he would just add on to what they owed and he kept the difference whatever he collected above what rome wanted went into his pocket and he was what rich he was good at this He was also hated by everybody in his neighborhood. But how did he get the willpower, if you want to call it that, to do this? How could he give back four times of everything he defrauded? Can you imagine that? That's financial suicide. To give back four times what he had defrauded. Here's how. Because with God, all things are possible. With God, all things are possible. The first guy walked away grieving This guy says, hey, Lord, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to set things straight. And what does Jesus say of him? Today, salvation has come to this house because he, too, is a son of Abraham. Because he's a Jew? No, because he's in the kingdom. Because he has made the right choice, the right decision. His transformation was the result of Christ's redemption. Christ was going to die for him. He had not yet done it. But he was going to die on the cross for this man, just like he was for for you and I. It's all about redemption. We are in the process of being redeemed. Now, guys, I'm going to close with this, because if you're like me and I know you are, what's in it for me? I just said it's all about him, but I still, you know, there's got to be something in this for me. So what's in it for me? And I'm going to blow through these pretty quick. Our obedience brings glory to God. We've said that. But what do we get as a result? And God's gracious. God is kind enough to, hey, you give me the glory, I'll give you blessings. But we got to give him the glory. So what's in it for me? Number one, the joy of showing our love for Christ. John fourteen fifteen. if you love me, you will keep my commandments. When we obey him, we are showing the world that we love Jesus Christ more than anything else more than anything else, more than money, more than possessions, more than our wife, more than our kids, more than our career, more than our car, more than our house, more than our reputation. We love him, and there's joy in doing that. You may not believe that, but it's biblical. Number two, the assurance that we abide in Christ's love. John 15:10. if you keep my commandments, Jesus said, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. You are assured when you keep his commandments that you are in the loving arms of Jesus Christ and ultimately the father. That's an assurance. No matter what you have to do, no matter what he may call you to do, when you do it, you're in his love. He loves you. That doesn't mean he stops loving you if you don't. But it means that he is pleased with you and the father is pleased with you. And there is an assurance in that. Number three, we're able to perfect Christ's love. Whoever keeps his word, in him the love of God has truly been perfected, lived out, manifested. We get to manifest the love of Christ here on earth to those around us. Jesus Christ is not here bodily anymore, right? We are. And he resides within us. And we get to manifest, perfect his love to everyone around us. And that brings him glory. Number four, we have God's presence with us. John fourteen twenty three. if anyone loves me, he will keep my word and my father will love him and we will come to him and make our abode with him. When we keep his commandments, when we obey, obey him and we live in his word and we do what he tells us to do, we have his presence with us. It may feel like everybody has abandoned you and it feels like all hell is broken loose against you. I know for Doug Daniels right now, I know that everything he's been through lately and with this latest loss, he feels like. God, where are you? But I can sit there and assure him that God is with him. God loves him. God's presence is all around him and within him. We experience God's love. John 14, 21, he who has my commandments and keeps them is the one who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my father. I will love him and will disclose myself to him. You will feel, feel the love of Jesus Christ when you keep his commands. How? Because you will feel Him empowering you to do what He's called you to do. And that He loves you and that He is making this possible for you to do. I don't know about you, but I want to experience that love more and more in my life. Because that's what I'm created for. We will know God confidently. I've been meeting with a young lady um, over the last few weeks who's really struggling with assurance of salvation. Does God really love me? I don't seem very lovely. Wouldn't you like to know confidently, know Him and know that He loves you and know that He's real? 1 John 2, 3, By this we know that we have come to know Him if we keep His commandments. Every time you keep a commandment of Jesus Christ, what will you know? What will you know? He's real. Otherwise, you wouldn't keep it. The only way you can keep it is because he's real. God is real, and Jesus Christ is real and is who he says he is because you are able to keep his commands. If we keep his commandments, we know time after time that God exists. We reveal the truth of our relationship. This one's really important to me. The one who says, I have come to know him and does not keep his commandments is a what? A liar. A liar, and the truth is not in him. So we, when I keep the commandments of Christ, I'm revealing to those around me, my kids, my wife, my friends, my associates, everybody around me, my neighbors, the truth of my relationship with Jesus Christ. But if all I do is I say, I know Jesus, but I don't do anything Jesus says, I'm nothing more than a liar. I'm a hypocrite. We enjoy the privilege of being a friend of Christ. Jesus told the disciples, you are my friends if you do what I command you. You want to be a friend of Christ? Do what he commands you. What a privilege to be a friend of his. Having your prayers answered. Whatever we ask, we receive from him because we keep his commandments and do the things that are pleasing in his sight. Got any prayers that have gone unanswered for a long time? Maybe it's a case of you haven't been obeying Christ. You haven't been keeping his commands. This doesn't mean everything you pray for will get answered, right? I think we're all smart enough to know that. But as we come to know him and we obey him, guess what? Our prayers will change. You'll probably stop praying for the same things you used to pray for because you're becoming more like him. How about we bear much fruit? If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. By this, my father's glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. Our lives should be bearing fruit. Everywhere we go. And when we bear fruit, what are we telling the world around us? Not only are we a disciple, but Jesus Christ is real and he gets glory. Everything he claimed is true. How about the joy of loving one another? First John five, two and three. By this, we know that we love the children of God. When we love God, observe all his commandments. For this is the love of God, guys, that we keep his commandments and his commandments are not burdensome. This is how we know we love the children of God. You know. Some of you guys are really hard to love. I hate to break the news to you. And I know some of you guys really don't love me. And I understand that. But you know what? It's not about me loving you. It's about me loving God first. And then I'll be able to love you more. Every every struggling marriage that I can think of, that I'm aware of right now, every struggling marriage, I really think the key is, if those two individuals could fall in love with God they would fall more in love with one another. But you know what the problem is? They're so in love with themselves, they can't love God or their spouse. And I look at them, they sit in my office and I think, neither one of you are lovely. I couldn't love either one of you. I can't understand why God loves you. Quit trying... I'm sorry guys, but... Wake up and smell the coffee. They're not going to heal their marriage by trying to fall back in love with each other because they're not lovable. Fall in love with God and you'll learn that, man, if he can love me, I can love her. Because I'm a whole lot more screwed up than she is. It's about falling in love with God. God. The joy of loving one another. man, I long to see more love in our marriages, but I long to see more love for God in our homes, in our lives. That's what's going to change marriages. That's what's going to change relationships with your kids is go fall in love with God. That'll give you the capacity you need to love one another. Keep His commandments. Number 12, knowing you're a true disciple. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, even as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. You want to be a true disciple, not a fake one? There it is, guys. Keep his commands. Keep his commands. And finally, we demonstrate ultimate love. This is my commandment, that you love one another, just as I have loved you. Greater love has no man than this, that one lay down his life for his friends. The ultimate sacrifice of love. What Jesus Christ did for you and I. Well, the commands of Christ. We're going to look at um, one next week. You should have homework. It's, it's repent. It's the very first one Jesus Christ came and said, repent. Now you're going to sit there and say, well, I've already done that. Sorry. You're never done doing that. So we're going to look at Repent. And I really encourage you guys, I know you're busy, I know you've got lots of things to do, I know there's, you know, Mavericks games and there's all kinds of stuff going on. Do your study. Not for me, I don't really give a rip. But do it to where you can grow and you can share with the guys around your table and let God change you through the power of His Word. Before I pray, let me uh, say this. Barry and Richard, who cooks our breakfast for us, if you want to encourage him, he does it for free. He just comes up here at 4 o'clock in the morning. If you want to put some money in his tip jar, it will help him tremendously. Um, it's on the table as you walk out. Uh, that would minister to him. Secondly, if you're sitting at a table and there's a roster there and your name's on, not on that roster, just write your name in so that we have record of that. That will help us tremendously. Let me close this in prayer. Father, we come to you this morning. We thank you that... You sent your son, Jesus Christ, to die on a cross in my place and in the place of every single guy sitting in this room. Not just to get us to heaven, but to transform us here on this earth. May we truly be men who are being transformed in the likeness of Jesus Christ. And may we understand and learn what those commands of Christ are, and begin to keep them in the power of the Holy Spirit, not so that we can brag and look good to one another, but so that our lives may bring glory to God because it proves the reality of the redemptive work of Jesus Christ. Because the only way we can do it, Father, is because Jesus Christ is who he says he was. He did die on the cross. He did rise again. He is the Redeemer of mankind. And he resides in me. May my life and the life of every man in this room reflect the reality that we are followers of Jesus Christ and we are being transformed daily into his likeness. Father, help us fall in love with you so that we can fall in love with one another, fall in love with our wives, fall in love with our kids, fall in love with a world that is going to hell in a handbasket. Lord, we've got to fall in love with you, and we've got to learn to obey what you've commanded us to do. And we pray this in the name of Jesus Christ, your Son, our Savior, and our soon-and-coming King. Amen.